0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the People's Square. Today, we will be discussing nationalist music. Uh, with me here is uh, Fred Durst himself to talk about the new Limp Biscuit album. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you guys saw that, right? Limp Biscuit has a new album? Yeah,
1: he looks like uh, Julian Assange now, from what I hear.
0: <laughs> well, from what I hear, it's the best one yet. So... Uh, go catch that, ladies and gentlemen. No, but uh, we're actually going to talk to guys here about uh, his up-and-coming National Socialist black metal label. Um, it's called Veni Vidi Vici. And uh, he's got a few bands. He um, uh, already has a different uh, musical acts that he is collaborating with and has collaborated with. Here's one of them. It's called Blood Libel. The song is titled Diverted to My So uh, how about you play that, Frank? one of the bands and uh if i recall correctly you're doing a split with them right
1: yeah that is correct yeah yep
0: yeah so uh essentially what i want to talk about is um how you know we have in the in the national justice party we seek to kind of um utilize underground music and i've actually been pleasantly surprised at how many supporters we have who are very active and engaged in you know things like rock against communism NSBM, uh, and even other forms of art painters, uh, you know, at the last event we saw tons of, of wonderful, uh, like oil canvas paintings and so on. Um, so what, what's your, what's your main motivation for, you know, your art? What inspires you? Um,
1: essentially my main uh, motivation is, It's evolved over the years, you know, being in a scene like a black metal scene, obviously when I was younger, might have had different motivations, but uh, I've always uh, wanted to kind of take this more aggressive music and once I got more into the nationalist uh, side of uh, things, you know, kind of focus more on that. Uh, message, uh, and get away from more of the negative aspects of, uh, this type of music. Um, you know, historically black metal is very associated with, the, a lot of, uh, anti-Christian Satanist themes, things like that. Um, never has really been that interesting to me, um, as much as the, uh, more of the nationalist side. I think it was, uh, in 1997, I uh, read an, uh, interview with, uh, rob fideli from uh graveland polish musician and yes. uh, he uh, he blatantly said in this interview that uh america you know the, the government was a zionist government <laughs> you know it was, it was run by uh you know foreign uh yeah <laughs> influence and and that to me was at the time i mean i was i was just a teenager so i mean it was very uh very striking and then also um you know, uh, bands like uh, Gramble Isles Key, uh, Argosland, and a lot of other nationalist bands have always been huge uh, influences and a lot of stuff going on over in Europe. Um, and, and as well, as you, you know, you, you always tend to rub shoulders or, or elbows, whatever you want to call it, uh, with uh, R.E.C. bands, you know. And right. they, they were they were always a little bit more overtly political historically. But uh, that's yes. ma- my main motivation lately is to bring more of an uplifting um you know, uh, nationalistic sex, uh, for you know, people of European descent, uh, mostly, um, and that's that's basically it in a nutshell.
0: Well, you know, the, th- the thing about Satanism is mm-hmm. that, you know, when when you have someone like, uh, was it little, little, little Nas or something, little, little Nas X, right, and uh, he's getting butt fucked by Satan, and it's like this. <laughs> And it's on MTV. That it's not cool anymore. No, it's not I, cool. Like it's not. It's not. You know, it's not rebellious. The whole point of metal music, typically, and uh, a lot of these underground subcultures, is to be rebellious. And uh, you know, it's not the only thing, but that's what appeals to a lot of teenagers. You know, when I was a when I was a teenager, I used to love Black NSBM. I used to love Dier Sturmer, Graham Bellowskey. Graham was actually from. Uh, not, not far from where I'm from, New York city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, th- this was like very edgy at the time. And it was actually, I'd say 10, 15 years ago, a huge part of the black metal scene. It seems that now the black metal scene has become kind of, um, turned into like a hipster, um, sort of, uh, uh you know, single serving consumption device that they, play as black metal people and then they move on to other things and so on right right i mean
1: essentially what i've noticed um as far as like the leftist infiltration of you know any type of outsider culture uh one thing they always tend to say is we're taking this back uh which is funny to me because it these people were never around as I was growing up. Um, it's it's kind of this new, new phenomena where they say we're taking it back or, you know, essentially, I mean, I think they need to say what they really mean is we're taking it away. Right. Um, and, you know, historically these types of outsider scenes, especially metal music. And then, I mean, I'm not even just talk, talking about the more extreme forms like uh, black and death metal, but heavy metal has always been kind of a, Kind of like a, a white male type of definitely. You know, I, I don't want us to say safe space, but you know, kind of our area, you know, where we could kind of right. basically just be who we are, you know, without any type of uh, you know those types of uh, left us kind of political motives, uh, you know, beating us over the head. Um, right. But they they very much have infiltrated to make it that way. Um, you know, getting shows canceled, uh, deplatforming, you know, to all, all this stuff that, that we face. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, you know, the band Absurd, right? Absurd from Germany. Yes, yes. They they played a show in fucking Queens, New York when I was a teenager. <laughs> they played in Queens, New York, didn't have any problems. Now you have more tepid black metal bands that's, that have like somewhat World War II style themes or they use an Iron Cross. And they get all these Antifa types canceling their shows at venues where I had had personally seen openly NSBM shows at uh, in the past. There's venues in in Greenpoint, Brooklyn and so on that they have total control over that have become these like weird woke things. And another thing that's very new from what I remember is um, Antifa black metal, like openly Antifa black metal. This is something that I saw Vice Magazine trying to make take a few years ago, and uh, there's a few bands involved. It's very gay, it's very lame, it's very soulless, and it really doesn't go with the spirit of the music, you know. And um, I mean, what, what, what's your what's your view on uh, like what are the actual origins of this kind of antifa black metal? Like, what where the hell did this come from? What what boardroom of Jews came up with this?
1: I mean. It's, it's basically evolved out of more like the, uh, the punk rock kind of, uh, subcultures. And then a lot of these people and hipster types kind of subverted a lot of the, uh, the metal scene, um, by basically just, I mean, truthfully, a lot of the bands that were touring and wanting to, you know, sell merch and things kind of just let these people start coming to, you know, the gatekeeping ended. So they felt like you know they were basically allowed to, you know, <laughs> come into the, the scene and uh...
0: they would have gotten made fun of as nerds. When yeah, I, when I was into metal, even people that weren't political would have been like, "Yo, this is really lame. Get out of here!" Yeah. Like, you know, this, this is yeah. totally new. The the, the anti black metal and it's funny. It's almost like they're, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the black metal scene and rock music in general is is a fraction of what it used to be. Is it not the scene in general?
1: Pretty much. I mean, it's, you know, you hear that a lot that, you know, this type of music is, is dead and, you know, there, there is no mainstream support for it at all. So it's always, so, you know, it's always, uh, been more of an underground phenomenon, essentially. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and I find that there aren't really any kind of famous black metal bands anymore. Say, dark throne um even burzum to some extent and i think it's probably because they realize that hey every time we make these guys famous they're just mainstreaming nazism <laughs> you know so yeah
1: yeah and that happened with dark throne especially uh they had made a statement uh you know that anyone who criticizes their album at the time i think this was a uh, Transylvania Hunger. It's back in the early '90s. They said uh, they should be thoroughly patronized for their obvious Jewish behavior. <laughs> so and they had to they had to make a, a bit of a you know an apology thing forced by the label, even back then. Really? Which, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That was a really popular album. I remember Transylvania Hunger. Um, yeah, but, absolutely. You know, I, I'm not sure what what exactly. What is happening with the metal scene? I mean, is it still big in, in Northern Europe?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of festivals. Um, you know, it's always been bigger in Europe, for sure. Um, some of the festivals in Europe uh, actually will openly host uh, you know, National Socialist Black Metal bands. Uh, I believe uh, there's been a little bit of controversy with the uh, fest in Finland called the uh, Stilfest. Um, and basically... You know, Graveland is playing Nocturnal Mortem. So a lot of these uh whining yeah. antifa types have, have uh, raised uh furor over it. And uh you you have bands uh that are a little bit more apolitical or mainstream like uh, Sodom, which is the old German thrash band. They they dropped off the fest. You know, they Oh came. they're
0: not playing they were gonna I'm surprised they, they would even play with Graveland or uh that's interesting. You know, i i yeah. really, I got uh, a few months back. I got an email from uh from I, I, I think I could say it, from a guy uh, associated with Sunwheel and Katatshu, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. from Poland. Sure. And I was shocked. You know, I was almost so. <laughs> so it's a long story why he was emailing me, but he's apparently a fan of mine, which is really funny because I used to love Sunwheel. Uh, when I was younger, really, really like obsessed with them. And I never thought I'd see the day where this guy would be emailing me for something. It was uh, a very uh, uh, heartening moment for me. But yeah, Uh, I I find though that one thing that's changed in the last uh, few decades, guys, is that uh, it seems that the music has been decoupled from politics in a, in a sense that now politics is the main attraction in American culture. Now, I remember many, many years ago, if you were promoting radical ideas or nationalist, you know, nationalist views, the primary way of appealing to the youth was to put it in the form of rock music. That's completely changed now. But um, I think there is a lot of value in having a mute, say, an artistic or musical detachment for your political activism. Anyone who's ever been to an NJP event knows that we have our, you know, our staple of of, of of affiliated rock bands that play, and um, I think it, it kind of adds some adds a bit of a twist to uh, um, a lot of a lot of what we're doing politically, and uh, you know, uh, it's 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 always great to be covering all the bases. No.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can look at um, you know the Italian uh, fascist party you know was very uh, centered around having you know a lot of these types of marching songs and but they had a lot of you know all kinds of sloganeering and, uh, you know, this is basic, uh, political propaganda, but, uh, a lot of it was very, very much based around, uh, music. So, um, you can actually still find like old vinyls of a lot of these marching songs and, uh, Italian fascist songs. Same, same with the, uh, NSDAP, of course. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's, a it's more of a modern take on it. Um, obviously I think, uh, a lot of <laughs> those leaders would consider this, uh, metal music, maybe not to be quite (laughs) the most, uh, you know, positive, uh, type of sound to go with what they're doing, but you you never know. You never know. I mean, it's, it's a product of its times. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, but it it, would be nice to, uh, to know what their opinions would be now. But, um, I guess we, we only have our, uh, movement to kind of, uh, yeah, like you said, you're having uh, bands play at um, you know NJP uh, meetups is, is is that's great. I mean, when I first heard that, well, that's that's perfect. You know, and that's going to get people uh, excited on another level. You know. So. Yeah, and
0: mm-hmm. and, and I, I'll say this though, I, I, I'm not so much for a, a very um, a, a very dogmatic view of, of of you know what these people in the 1930s would think. You know, Mussolini, I mean, think of think of the futurist movement, which was, you know, strongly affiliated and associated with the Italian fascists. Um, You know, they were pretty controversial in their time, particularly to conservatives, and they were very much, um, you know, opposed to kind of I don't want to use the word reactionary, but sort of uh, aesthetic critiques of what they were doing. Uh, sure. they were they're quite obsessed with with uh, you know being men of their times in fact that that's more of the spirit of of what uh, the the Duce and Hitler were, were for than anything else um so I, I actually you know it's very common to see certain types of people say well if Hitler saw he put you in a camp because uh, <laughs> you know he wouldn't be able yeah. to understand rock music and he put you in a camp or something well the thing is Hitler did not grow up in 20th century, 21st century America, you know, and not to use the current year as an argument. But, you know, you're going to take on different uh, aesthetic senses, sensibilities for better or for worse uh, if, if you're in that situation. And so you have to use every tool at your disposal. You have to use every possible, um, you know, weapon in the gauntlet to adv- advance your political struggle. and. A lot of people see and express themselves through this music. and I don't really see a problem with it. You know, I, I think that um, snobs should just not listen to it if they don't like it. But, you know, I, I think there is value to it. I mean, I, I've sort of lost my taste for black metal uh, mm-hmm. as I've gotten older. Sure. But, but I know tons of people that really love it. And you know what? I still love Nocturnal Mortem. I mean, I, I've said it before publicly <laughs> that – Lunar poetry is probably one of the greatest metal albums, period, ever created. And it was created by an NSBM band. So, you know, there, there's a sort of um, a power to that, that you can't just get through the spoken word. You can't just translate through books or, or uh, speeches and so on, you know. Yeah, no, that's
1: that's uh, a very uh, good point. And, and yeah, I, I mean to say that, too, it's. it's I mean, this whole thing is a culture war, right? So, I mean, we're uh, going back to what I was saying how, you know, the the leftist elements are trying to to take even this away from us so we can kind of dig in our hills and not seed any ground um, because that's been a big problem and a lot of ground has been seeded. So now we're kind of fighting to get it back. Um, At least, as you're saying, like, you know, getting our are out there without, you know, having uh Bandcamp take down a website, you know, or uh, you know, a lot of these services that are available to everyone else. You know, uh, you know, any type of uh, you know, hip-hop artist glorifying uh, like you said, I mean, I would say violence in the past, but it seems like they mostly glorify like uh you know homosexuality now but uh which is uh, crazy yeah it is yeah <laughs> um
0: you know, it, I mean, that, you know i mean three decades
1: things have changed uh you know uh, quite a bit um but yeah, yeah I, I i just i think that uh but what you say it hold holds true yeah i mean it, it is the culture where we got to take what we have and uh you know and metal music it does have a very anthemic feel to it it has a very powerful kind of uh you know, um, filling you get from it, you know, certain, you know, when you hear a certain guitar riff, you know, you get a certain filling that it's makes you feel very charged and very animated, you know, and yes. that's that energy can be, you know, uh, directed into, uh, things that are positive, uh, you know, what, for, one for, thing,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I'll say about metal music in general, mainstream or underground is that it seems that I'm sure, you know, the, the record label nuclear blast. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have pretty much every single metal band that has ever been popular in the last two decades signed to their label. Now, it's essentially it's a monopoly. They have Demu Borgir, they have Hatebreed, they have Slayer, they have them all. And the guy who runs it is a German guy who is an open antifa. So I think that the challenge uh, that a lot of these bands have, even even bands like Sabaton, which kind of... You know, play around a little bit with, with edgy aesthetics and so on. Um, these bands, it's essentially a question of making money. Like, there's actually not a lot of money in music. I'm sure you know this. Um, so, you, you either have to join the ideologues, which is the, the leftists that have the money. Remember, leftism only exists in its current form because of money power. And this is actually kind of a subtle way that they use their money power is by, OK, so if you want to do if you want to make make a living as as a metal musician, you have to sign up to a record label owned by this like corporate Antifa CEO. Um, so I think that this is playing a huge role in it now. I mean, I'm sure you would agree with me that it's impossible to, to really make a living off being a musician, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's more difficult now than it pretty much has ever been. Um, I mean, you don't, you can't really depend on, um, you know, record sales to sustain you as a as a living. Um, even touring as an underground band, you know, most bands are lucky if they uh, break even. But uh, yeah, I mean, most of the Successful artists and music are ones that are, you know, definitely uh, towing in the narrative of the mainstream, um, which is all, you know, global homoethics, essentially. Right. Uh, yeah.
0: I mean, look, let me just name you some bands on this record on nuclear blast. Mm-hmm. Rhapsody, Opeth, Nightwish. Um, you got, oh, Meshuggah, ew. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <you got, laughs> You got In Flames. I mean, I remember going to an In Flames concert about eleven years ago, and it was packed. It was absolutely packed. It was like well, it was like one of those situations, like the Astral World concert, where oh, people well. were getting trampled and shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you, you know, you have um, Biohazard, as I lay dying, Amorphous, all these bands at Alsace. These were bands that I remember used to sell venues out. Agnostic Front. OK, these are bands that used to sell venues out and uh, they're all basically monopolized by this record label. And and frankly, to, to be on this record label, you have to do, uh, you know, ministry is on their label and we know their politics there. They're, they have this um, before YouTube took took down the thumbs down. They had an, an Ant- pro Antifa song that just got downvoted to the fucking to another dimension. Um. And and so, you know, this is how they they consolidate their power. They once these these things become niche and less, say, populist or popular, they consolidate them and they turn them into kind of niche leftist um, vanity projects. I mean, you kind of see that, too, with magazines, right? Like you see things like Teen Vogue. No one no one really reads Teen Vogue. No one buys Teen Vogue.
1: Well, it's a blog. It's not even a magazine anymore. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, a communist, uh, radical leftist blog now.
0: Right. Like the, the the crux of Teen Vogue when it was a thing was, uh, you know, you're a 16 year old girl and you read the astrology and you you look at all the makeup ads and stuff. Well, now they have things like you know how to you know how ha- how to how to how to gerbil with your Polyamorous <laughs> relationship. And they have like guides like that and, that, and that's because no one's reading it. So it's basically, uh, it's basically a vanity project for some Jewish executive at Condé Nast's daughter. Like that's yeah. <laughs> that's really what it turned into. And metal music is no different now. And there's yeah. so much in American culture that's like this though no?
1: That's true. And you know, and a lot of those bands that, um, I mean, most of them, you know, some of the ones you mentioned are going to be apolitical. They're not going to really have. But they're going to go out of their way to not be controversial. Um, But when they get in these spots where like, you know, uh, supposedly, uh, you know, someone threw up a, a, you know, a Roman saloon picture in 1996 or someone was wearing a confederate flag t-shirt you know 10 years ago then that's where they have to you know toe the line uh the the narrative otherwise you know then then they're canceled as as it goes so
0: yeah you know that that's another thing that that is relatively new in the metal scene i mean we know mm-hmm. slayers history you know slayers again on nuclear Blast um you know and they have some pretty edgy songs they're they're mostly just uh talking about things as an artistic license but the point is though is that they they're never going to be able to do that again yeah exactly and well the the thing
1: was uh we, we actually made a joke where we should you know rewrite the lyrics to angel of death from like a revisionist standpoint you know <laughs> the angel of life and how and uh you know cured people of uh you know, tuberculosis or typhus or whatever it was. And, you know, uh, Angel. help, help that one girl. I, I can't remember the, the little girl ended up, uh, saying she, he did weird blood experiments on her, but actually yeah. saved her life or something like that. <laughs>
0: also, have something in there about the maternity ward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Have, have something or in the there. Soccer about the soccer team. Swimming pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is actually, uh, um, sort of, a uh, it used to be more acceptable to, to, kind of, um, uh, traffic in Nazi imagery. I remember I, in Manhattan, when I was a, a, a young lad, I went to, uh, the 34th street mall, which is now basically just some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of tax write-off or something for people that own it. But, um, back then it was, uh, you know, full of stores and such. And I bought a Slayer t-shirt in there. That is the Reichs Eagle holding the Schutzstaffel rune, like the S rune.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I used to walk around in that thing, and I, I bought it mostly because I like that 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 uh, symbol. And uh, people used to be like, "Oh, that's an awesome shirt. Where'd you get it?" and, and so on. You know, now if you walk around Brooklyn with that shirt, you're going to have to fight people with that Slayer shirt. You know, and so the world has changed quite a bit, and I think it's because. I don't know if you agree with this. I think it's because the stakes are higher. You know, back back then when I was just doing, you know, listening to NSBM and and doing the skinhead thing, I never really, you know, on some level, I never really took, in retrospect, I never really took it as seriously as I do now. Mm-hmm. And the reason I didn't is that the the idea that we would one day have, uh, you know, a, a sort of almost mass popular movement where, you know, even on Telegram, there's like 13,000 13, people like are subscribed to my telegram. Like, all that was unthinkable back then. So because the stakes are higher, that's why they censor and oppress us more, you know. And so I think that it, when I when I look at the state of free speech in this country, I have real mixed feelings about it, because on the one hand. There's less freedom than ever, but on the other hand, there's a bigger audience for this kind of stuff than ever. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, there's
1: definitely uh, a lot of people within uh, the scene who are willing to support it and go out of their way to do so, Uh, but it is – definitely made more uh, difficult by you know things like uh, saying your paypal gets taken away and you know uh, online payment processors uh but i mean when i started in this scene i was i was sending money orders and cash and stuff up all over the world to order records so i mean with a little bit of, you know, extra effort, it, it's not something they could stop completely. I mean, it only takes someone who has like a $500 computer to make music these days. So it's, it's going to be really hard to s- completely silence anyone. But, uh, it, it's, you're, you're definitely up against a wall in, in that way for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember that, you know, so certain people had, they, they did like the distro as a side gig, but, um, they, you know, we had a, We had a guy from New Jersey. Maybe you might know him, but um, his record label—he had a metal record label. And he was targeted by anarchists. Oh, Elegy. Yes.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, you know, back when we were on on YouTube, we uh, we interviewed him. He came on my show, mm-hmm. and he got a massive outpouring of support despite losing his uh, PayPal and uh, payment processors. And the reason for that is that the people that support this style of art or these kinds of politics are willing to go and sign up for Bitcoin or even mail you cash in the in the in the mail, you know, uh, right. for your music. And, and a lot, some of them might not even listen to the music; they just want to support good people fighting for free speech or or promoting good ideas. And so, it's not the same for us as it might be. For some of these uh, bands that are signed up to, again, a nuclear blast who actually might just be casual fans. So I think in the end, at the end of the day, uh, it all kind of evens out. Right. And uh, and so I, I don't think that the payment processor issues and uh, the censorship being banned from band camp and things like that are, are having the same impact that they might have when they first hit us with these things a couple of years ago. Right
1: yeah definitely i mean that's uh i mean I, I i haven't seen it really ramp up the way it has i mean i'd say maybe in the last four years it's just gotten worse and worse i mean there, there's so many uh you know chat groups around there that where they just are looking for bands that they could go report on Bandcamp or you know get paypal or you know or try to get concerts uh shut down and you know when a band announces a tour like uh you know like the swedish band marduk for example they have some you know very it's it's military history kind of stuff on the world war ii side but the fact that they sing about you know the wehrmacht they they get you know the cancel treatment you know now they can't play in north america and, and things like that so
0: marduk huh
1: yeah marduk is is definitely
0: I saw you know, Marduk, as, as they say, the, not safe. I, I saw Marduk at the Gramercy Theater in mm. Manhattan ten or twelve years ago, and I went with with a, a group of Polish skinheads, <laughs> and uh, we didn't have any problems there. There was no issue whatsoever at the Gramercy Theater in Manhattan. So the fact that now they can't even play anything in North America is actually very, very new. Um, now do you feel like I do, this is a little bit off topic, but do you feel like I do that uh, some of the momentum that the anarchists had say two years ago, uh, is starting to die down a little bit. I mean, it feels like they're, they're losing yeah. steam, losing energy, the libs, the liberals that really enable them through the, the New York times and the political structure of the country, they, they're kind of starting to ignore them a little bit and kind of, being less hysterical. And I find that it's probably because Trump's out of office. Um, And I think Trump was a kind of a polarizing figure in the sense that he activates liberals to become more extreme. But I feel now that a lot of the anarchists, they seem to be, you know, one, number one, they seem to be cannibalizing each other. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was talking to Mike the other day about Anti-Fash Gordon uh, threatening to sue the Torch Antifa network and threatening to dox them. And then you have other instances of, uh, you know, the, the John Brown Gun Club. It recently came out that they were just riddled with FBI informants. And so th- right. there's just like a lot of, of issues going on with the anarchist scene that seems to be kind of, uh, you know. Well, they're, they're, they're suing up. each
1: other. They're starting to
0: sue each other. <laughs> you
1: know, yes. there's, uh, uh, so yeah, I, I you're absolutely right with the, uh, uh, cannibalizing is the best term to use. Uh, right. I mean, they, yeah, it's waning. It's waning. And uh, they, and I mean, obviously the, the election was a big part of that. And the fact that, uh, I mean, what's interesting now is all the uh, court cases that are going on there kind of keep it um things, you know, more or less. Uh, that, that's kind of focusing some of the ire of some of these, you know, shit libs. And, uh, you know, I don't even see the Antifa commenting on a lot of that stuff, though, really. Um, it's mostly just like,
0: they're busy. They're distracted with their pers- personal battles. Yes, they yes. are. And I, I think to some extent, you know, the Department of Justice under Joe Biden doesn't want these people out there as a distraction. I, I do think they're under some degree of uh, FBI and police pressure, not to the same extent that, you know, nationals are. But they're under some pressure because the the, the Jews in the government are, are simply like. Okay, the white nationalists are not marching in the street. We don't need you anymore, so they're going to fold them up and put them back in the drawer. You know they don't need them anymore, and so this is part of it. I mean, we saw. You know, you were talking about the trials going on. Mm-hmm. You know, the FBI had like 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 drones spying on the riots in Wisconsin, filming absolutely everything with these drones, and yet no criminal charges for the anarchists. So. What does that tell you well it tells you that the fbi is watching them they're just not uh charging them for the violent things that they're doing um and and it's because you know they they want to make sure they can control they can control them to some extent without going too far and uh you know the the, this in, in in shutting down their irregular army but the point i'm getting at though is that yeah uh, I was going to ask you. I mean, what 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 are your thoughts on on the uh, on the Rittenhouse trial and the uh, the other the signs versus Kessler, and uh, of course the McMichaels? What, what are your thoughts on these issues?
1: Um, I mean, obviously uh, the Rittenhouse uh, trial. I think it's going a lot better than I expected. After you know the the whole Chauvin mess, um, I was thinking you know, well, they're they're going to railroad this kid. Just like, but I, it seems like he's getting some good uh, you know fair. Uh, you know, uh, treatments from, from the judge, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, obviously a lot of the witness uh, t- testimony from the, the um, prosecution side is just, I mean, it's not going well for them in a lot of a lot of ways. So, um, I'm, a little, I'm definitely more optimistic about it now than before it even started. Um, as far as uh, Charlottesville, I kind of knew it was just going to be kind of a political, you know, you know the signs versus Kessler it was going to be more of a political kind of uh Grant I mean it like Mike said the other day he, it's amazing that they dismissed him cuz i mean imagine if he was in there saying what he wants like him cross examining uh Lipsch, that, you know been, oh yeah it would have been worth it alone but uh i think you guys were talking about that the other day but um yeah it's it's you're seeing a lot of people you didn't expect to do well you know do well um so that's yeah. good and uh as far as the uh the McMichael's uh, but the the Arbery thing uh I don't know. Uh, That one looks a little more dire, to be honest, at at least from from what I could tell. Um, I'm no legal expert. I don't really have the the best uh, way to interpret a lot of what happens in the courtroom. But uh, just from an outsider point point of view, somebody's not really up on a lot of the –
0: I'll I'll tell you this. I'll Mm -hmm. I'll tell you. One thing that's important is that the half of a court battle happens outside of the court. And so the in the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, he's got everyone supporting him. Okay, that is a high profile case where every there. It's not controversial to to say that he committed self-defense. And I'll go on further and say it's not really controversial to say that that like most people in America want to see Antifa's get shot. I mean, that's that's just my my humble opinion from talking to people in my day to day life, even people that are not particularly political. They saw a bunch of freaks. Uh, going around, rioting, chasing people down, beating them up, and they saw someone take take the law in their own hands, and so you have a situation like that guy, um, uh, Bernie Bernie Goetz in, uh, in in New York City. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's kind of a similar vibe there, and and even if if some of the mitigating factors that um, vindicate Kyle Rittenhouse weren't there, I still I still think that he would have uh, he would have been able to probably beat his charges. I was always. Frankly, optimistic about that. Now, science versus Kessler is different. The institutional conservatives and magopedes and all the big blue check marks uh, that claim to be populist and care about free speech—they're completely ignoring it. However, on Telegram, we are fighting that battle. We're, we're, we're keeping a close eye on the proceedings. We're all listening in. Uh, the Anti Defamation League was even complaining to the Washington Post yesterday that they—they're they, mad that. The trial is being broadcast over the phone because, you know, just like with the Rittenhouse thing, being able to see the facts as they unfold is an enormous benefit to people being politically persecuted because the facts are all on our side. It's a matter of the media spin that they put in the middle of it. I mean, the fact that Sines versus Kessler or the Rittenhouse case are even going to trial is purely product of a media-created narrative, political narrative, political persecution. So they're complaining about that, which makes me think, you know, the fact that they're preparing the sour grapes for the big wine uh, in Science versus Kessler tells me that they're getting nervous that a lot of these defendants are going to get either, you know, found not liable or they're going to get a mistrial. Mm-hmm. Now, here's why I agree with you on... Um, um, the McMichaels the McMichaels don't really have anyone focused on their case. So that's the first thing no one is talking about that case other than people hostile to them uh, including us and it's simply because we don't have the resources to cover Science V Kessler and the McMichaels at the, to the same degree right because it's being broadcast on television as well um, So you have that going on and then you have when it comes to you know something that's a cut and dry act of self-defense someone goes for your gun, tries to take it and get shot in the process, cut and dry self-defense. Uh, you know, Georgia citizens arrest law. They got all the laws and facts on their side. But unfortunately, um, the fact that it's two, it's th- three whites versus, you know, one black that got shot means that conservatives will not touch it, right? If Kyle Rittenhouse had shot three blacks, they wouldn't be touching it. Just like they don't touch the McMichaels, they they won't go near it. And we don't have the same resources because of the the, the, uh, urgency of science versus Kessler. We don't have the same resources to be making that the number one issue on our uh, social media platforms and building up the momentum in their defense, putting the facts out. So, uh, you know, just today I saw that, you know, Reverend Al Sharpton. And Jesse Jackson are sitting in on the uh, on the proceedings in uh, the McMichaels trial. I don't know if you saw that. I mean, it's really, you know, the the, the defense actually did a good job and they brought it up and they said these black pastors are trying to intimidate the jury. They said it like that. (laughs) And so, you know, maybe there's just people in that jury, which is actually mostly white from what I hear. That are just, you know, sick of, of this, of these racial politics, whether they get, um, whether they get um, pointers or they get uh, pointed in, in a certain direction by their conservative gatekeepers or not. Some of those um, people in the jury for the McMichaels trial may actually sympathize or just saying, you know, I'm sick. I'm sick of these people, too, you know, and and, and stick with the principle of self-defense in this case. I mean, do you think that's possible? Hello. You got? Uh, am I? Uh,
2: no, we're still here.
0: Oh, is uh, guys off? Is it working now?
2: Sorry, yeah, sorry, I,
1: yeah. They're, they're again some some kind of audio issues. I guess they're. Uh, I can see in the chat. So, someone in some the chat.
0: Someone of... someone in the chat said uh, that this is what happens to your voice when you sing black metal. yeah (laughs) that's that's
1: very true yeah i'm going low fly here so yeah people just have to to deal with it but um maybe when we take a music break i can try to uh rejoin the call or something but um going back to your question is i mean overall it's what 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 I like when I've seen is people are doing a lot of people are talking in the chats about like calling in and listening to Signs versus Kessler, you know, cause that's the only way, you know, cause they have a call in that you can do where you can actually call in and listen to it live, you know, kind of over the phone. And so people are staying informed, like you said, and using telegram to their, their benefit, uh, to spread the word out there. Um, you know, to get away from the, the lying, uh, the lying press as it were, um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, everybody being engaged and, and trying to, um, you know, get the real narrative out, out there. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, like in the McMichaels case, they just don't have – Anybody that's really behind him, like Rittenhouse does, where he has a lot of, you know, normally conservative type of backing, um, you know, and, and a lot of that is racial, obviously, uh, yes. because of who the victims are versus, you know, who, who they are not. <laughs> um, and, and, and you know, they brought up a good point on tedious uh, the other day about how, um, you know, they, they won't say anything about uh you know rosenbaum's uh tribal affiliation because you know they they only want victim ex you know um, exclusive <laughs> exclusiveness you know, so, so yeah if, if it's not you know only them then they they don't want anything to do with they don't want to really say i i i think they're they they're not going to bring that up at all, at all obviously um not even in the press if they haven't by now so
0: yeah yeah i mean i i, I honestly i think that rosenbaum's Jewishness was maybe a factor, but I'm I'm going to be, you know, the big bad Nazi. I'm not going to, I'm not certain, you know, on a political level that his Jewishness is that important in this case. He uh, just strikes me as a total nut job. I mean, he was yeah. like released from a psychopath. I mean, yeah, obviously. he was released, you know, and, and you actually see this also in a lot of the uh, plaintiffs and signs v. Kessler. I saw something where. Marcus Martin, who was the uh, the, the the famous uh, the, 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 the 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 in the uh, in the in the car crash with James Fields, uh, Marcus Martin became the uh, the Michael Jordan Jump Man. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, like his, his shoes <laughs> fell off. That, yes. that reminds me of that Jerky Boys uh, call where he said uh, he was <laughs> like my shoes fell off when I fell
0: down the stairs. <laughs> yes, he was complaining during his testimony that uh, he lost his Jordans.
1: And then he couldn't play basketball again, but then there's, yes. then there's been photos of him uh, playing basketball. Playing basketball, yeah. yes. Yeah.
0: And, so, and so you see things like that. But if you look into that guy's background, he was, he was freshly released from a prison stint for a violent armed robbery when he went to Charlottesville. Right. And that was not admissible in the court, but just getting it out there on social media is enough to possibly reach people that could make a difference in the case, you know, and just – Pushing these points, you know, and I just thought, uh, in the case of Ahmad Arbery, I mean, um, the, the the challenge there is to show that Ahmad Arbery was indeed, and I think they have played the videos, that he was indeed breaking into construction sites, that he wasn't just doing, you know, what guys do, what Andrew Clavin was saying when this happens, you know, guys just say, they, they break into construction sites and just watch the construction. <laughs> I do that all the time, you know, I just commit a, a burglary by you know
1: so well, uh yeah anyone who's worked construction knows that's bullshit <laughs>
0: yeah yeah
1: i mean no one just you know it, usually people break into construction sites it's for one or two reasons it's either kids that are wanting to drink beer or you know dude to do something kind of more like normal teenager kind of stuff or it's people that are there to steal stuff. So, I mean, it's right. Yeah.
0: Right. And so that, that, that argument, I don't know if it's going to work, but you know, it has been confirmed that Arbery is the man on the foot uh, on the surveillance video going into the construction sites. Uh, it has been confirmed that the neighbors contacted the McMichaels, uh, when they saw him leaving one of these sites um, and so all, all the facts are there, you know. All the facts are there, but you know it's a matter of you know. I think Cantwell in the Signs versus Kessler trial is uh, really taking these these uh, lessons and putting them into practice. Is that a political trial requires a political defense? You need the legal arguments, but you also need the political defense. And so Cantwell is not shy about not just defending his own liability in this phony conspiracy. But also defending the the, the broader narrative, which is not a narrative, is that people went to Charlottesville to just hear speeches and make a stand for the statues, not to lynch and pogrom blacks. Okay, that's another thing that that Cantwell is really doing very well. And, you know, I saw him uh, or heard him today uh, dealing with Peter Simi, who is using like something out of a bit shoot video. Like he's taught, talk, he's talking about the the defendants. Like they're like the Illuminati where they have like a, a, a secret numerical code that means something completely different from what they do in public. And they do these gestures to each other to, to give each other orders, to commit crimes and this total bullshit. And uh, you know, Cantwell's moment when he said, Oh, you know, he's talking about weave." You know, Mm. and not to to get into that, not to stick my schlong into that beehive, but uh, saying, so. (laughs) so, you know, this is going on the record for when the juries are pouring over it when they're making a jury decision, a verdict on the case. It's going to be on the record with Cantwell saying, uh, so you're telling me a Jewish neo-Nazi is behind a secret esoteric conspiracy to do Nazi, to to basically gas the Ks, as they say. Okay, so, you know, you read that as a casual observer and you just laugh and you just vote not liable. You know, that, that's my optimistic view on it. I mean, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's well, well, yeah, like you said, he's doing really well. Like he's, he's coming out of them, you know, on his crosses, uh, really well, um, asking the right questions, making the right arguments, uh, and, uh, you know, dismantling everything that they're, they're bringing. Like, and, uh, it's great to see, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that, like, uh, yeah, with, uh, you know, we even things like that. I mean, we're not going to get into, you know, personalities yeah. and stuff. But, yeah, I, it's funny to me um, how, you know, they, they act like they're experts on, you know, what our political motivations and movements are. But they, they still just have a very outside looking view in. And it's it's more informed by Hollywood than uh, any real political reality i think yeah,
0: yeah. and I, I think also the the echo chamber that these jews live in mm-hmm. uh, in new york city is, is simply doesn't translate i mean I'm, I'm pretty sure that the uh the people that are you know um on that jury care more about potentially having to sit through this bullshit through thanksgiving than they do that someone said the n-word like it's yeah. just, just a fact that's Absolutely. that's America. Whether you like it or not, most Americans just don't care.
1: They don't. Well, as it, long as they can go to work then the next day, most people are going to try to sit, you know fly under the radar. With you know, even though they'll probably you know agree with a lot of uh, you know uh, what our talking points are, and just going back to what you said that you know Antifa is not popular. It's just a fringe outside group um, that just has a lot of backing, a lot of uh, you know people embedded in uh, mainstream media. Um, you know, even the judicial system, going back to signs versus Kessler, you know, the law clerks were, uh, yeah. you know, uh, involved in, I mean, I don't, I don't know if any of them were exactly in teeth of my memories, uh, going, but, you know, they're, they're no, they
0: definitely. knew the plaintiff, they yeah. knew the lead plaintiff, Elizabeth right. side. So the people that, so if you, if you see a different judge moon, I mean, I was talking when, when these proceedings were happening, the uh, written aspect before the trial, I was telling people when I was reading these decisions that Moon was – 85-year-old Judge Norman Moon was writing. And I was like, this isn't him. Someone else is writing this for him. And then it hit that the people writing some of these opinions were literally personal friends of Elizabeth Sines, the head of the plaintiff party here. So, I mean, that is like just unbelievable – Corruption, ethical violations. I mean, someone. Those, I think they're, they're in law school. If you're clerking, you're in law school. You know, they, these people. They 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 should just be completely disbarred if, if if possible for doing that. I mean, that is such a violation of basic ethics. Mm-hmm. And what what the people in the written house and in now the trial in Science versus Kessler are realizing is that the repeated ethical violations that they commit in pursuit of a political ends. Are meeting some degree of resistance from these septa uh, septuagenarian, octogenarian judges. Okay, like Judge Moon. I think Judge Moon graduated from law school in the 1950s. So if you're going up there running like like Michael Block, running your like you know Bronx you know Bronx like Jew Jew criminal attorney shtick, where you're like basically like leading people into rhetorical traps. And playing memory games with them and so on. That, that's not going to fly in a – in, in, in a, when, when there's an actual like serious judge overseeing it. He's going to say like it's not it's not a memory game, right? Like stop – it's just all dirty tricks and it's a dirty – and it's all dirty tricks because they're frying up a bunch of nothing burgers and they have nothing to go on, OK? There's no conspiracy. They haven't proved it. They're not trying to prove it. It's just a, a matter of are you offended by their political speech? And I don't think it's going to go well for them. I mean, it's too early to tell. As you said, yeah. you know, juries cannot be – it can be unpredictable. But, you know, if, 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 if there's even one reasonable person on that jury, they're not going to be able to find liability in most of these people. The people that have said the most ridiculous things in the, that, that they could use have already been found liable. You know, Dylan Hopper and Asmodore, who they played saying stupid shit – um, they have they haven't participated in the trial, so the other defendants are pretty good, I think, um, as individual defendants.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that was another thing too they were, they were mentioning about the, the kind of the Fed posting, kind of, <laughs> you know that yeah. was that was a bad day for for uh, the plaintiffs for sure with the with the the. You just said his name, but uh yeah. Yeah, I'm bad with names. But yeah, I mean he wasn't he he was basically just letting it fly, you know, and t- yeah. just didn't know how to handle the uh you know the questions he's being answered. I mean that's gonna happen though, you know. Some of these people are probably, you know, pretty intimidated by the experiences. I mean, you know, it's what can you do? But uh yeah, thankfully uh you but know there's plenty well, who aren't Cantwell's can't a, well,
0: can't you know. a pig and shit. He's yeah. having a blast, and it comes through, and, well, you know, Nietzsche's happy warrior. They're mad been, about
1: that. It, yeah, not only that. I mean, he's currently incarcerated, so it's like, what does he have to lose, really?
0: <laughs> yeah, this is, like, the highlight of his, like, last two years is his trial. And they're giving them a platform. They're, they're always talking about no platform. Well, this is their platform. This is like a – I mean, I, I wouldn't compare it to Hitler at La- – was it Lands- Langensburg or Landsdorf, Right. But – um I, I will say that it's not far from that. Okay. These people are being able to put their ideology out there. Um, they are making, they're, they're turning that courtroom into Jerry Springer mm-hmm. and they have a charisma advantage over the really kind of dour and, um, really annoying self-righteous the word. I think is priggish, um, attacking attorneys right right well and then you mentioned yeah the you know the hitler
1: uh, court case after the you know we just actually just passed what was, it, was the 98th uh, anniversary of the uh the beer hall putsch. but um he he was able to um he had unlimited time to to answer and it actually gained him a lot of popularity he was able to get his uh political message out there so um we, we probably won't get anything like that out of this like you said but it's uh
2: you also, know, so, there,
0: yeah, so there there is going to be some some good uh, takeaways in, in, in a similar way for sure yeah and just imagine if someone like like Mike Enoch was was given that platform cuz <laughs>
1: right. he
0: has you know he he could be a lawyer like i i i followed a lot of his work in his case and uh you know the stuff was like top tier and to the point where even the the plaintiffs were complaining It's like oh someone's ghostwriting this <laughs> you know, and uh You know, this is this is how I think a lot of us we've been through so much. We've been we've basically had everything thrown at us and, you know, we've come out of it stronger. What's what's left of us? It's it's a more pyramid shaped uh, movement now with with fewer heads, but better discipline and uh, more educated on how to deal with these kinds of issues. Um, And so really increasingly, if they lose in signs versus Kessler, increasingly, the only real recourse they have after the full deplatforming, the censorship, lying about us, character assassinations, civil lawsuits, the only thing they're going to have left is to just throw us all in prison. And at that point, we'll figure out a way to fight them then, too. So it's not really something like they, they, they have to understand that we can't be bought off and we can't be swooped. We can't be intimidated. So. You're going to have to let us sit at the table as political actors. You're going to have to allow us to do that. So whether you want it to be uh, now or later, it's going to happen. So um, I'm very optimistic about the, the results of Sines versus Sein versus Kessler. And I think that it's, it's also uh, there's a lot of star power there. You, you know, you see some glimpses as to why these guys became popular uh, in those court proceedings, a lot of them have, you know, they've become conservatives or they have, uh, even in some cases joined like leftist groups and stuff where they become anti-racist and stuff, but you get to see why these guys had, uh, mass movements three or four years ago. You know, you get to see that, that side of them for the first time in a while, you know, and I think that's good for them too, as, as individuals. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, uh, Frank, do we have any questions?
2: Uh, we've got some donations. Uh, not, All well, right. Yeah. Let's take one. All right. Uh, Tam, good old Tam,
0: 1488. Oh. Oh, that's the numerical code, <laughs> according to Peter Simi. Numerical code.
2: Yes. <laughs> um, we have one of these... The uh, coins from Odyssey, whatever they are, from Hard Look, and says NS Deathcore is the future.
0: Indeed, indeed, and I I know um I know Hard Look, and I think they're more of a Christian. What do they call it? White metal, white metal. Which you know, whatever you might think of of organized religion or whatever, that's actually more genuinely rebellious than being a fucking Satan worshiper. So uh, yeah, definitely give Hard Look a follow if uh, if, um, if if you're interested in metal music. This movement. Um, as for I'd have to revisit some of my my sources and stuff. As for like direct primary sources on what exactly transpired during the civil rights era, which is actually leftists are correct when they say you know all these conservatives that claim to be the heirs of Martin Luther King like we're you know. And then turn around and attack Black Lives Matter for being violent. Well, the civil rights movement was infinitely more violent than anything we saw last year. Uh, Way more violent, many more deaths, much more chaos. I mean, one of the reasons why Martin Luther King had so many uh, active enemies was because everywhere he'd go, there'd be riots. So this is actually a, a complete myth constructed by the Zionist media. That the civil rights movement was peaceful. It certainly was not. And if you actually talk to the people that were in the civil rights movement, like John Lewis, John Lewis, who marched with Martin Luther King, he died last year at the beginning of the George Floyd riots. And when he was asked about the riots, he was saying, well, this is good trouble. This is good trouble. So the actual people that were in the civil rights movement all avow racial violence. Uh, so just ask them directly, like, what do you think of this, ki- of this kind of racial violence, and they will all support it. This is exactly what Martin Luther King wanted. But uh, anyway, next. One.
2: Yep, uh, we got uh, another one of them coins from Scene Kyle, and he just sends a Roman salute. Oh, Roman salute you back, my friend. <laughs> all right, and then we've got a uh, join a pool party faggot donates 1488. Yes, I agree. We are taking in the
0: pool parties. They are taking uh, uh, submissions. Be patient. There, it is a long process because it's meant to be because it's you know for security purposes. <clears throat> but yes, you, you you know where to look it up. Go on the rightstep.biz, find the email address, and look it up and apply. Um, and you know get in touch with your local, um, your local chapter. Or not chapter, but it's just really just a fan club. But, yeah. Anyway.
2: Yep. Um, we've got, uh, what is this, 20 over on Entropy from, uh, we'll just Fantastic. call him, call him Steven. Uh No message. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's all we got for now. Oh, I, I see more on the screen. A lot more. Oh, um, let me check. Over on it's, Odyssey. It's, Yes, I well, I see. Um, like,
0: I mean, is that from last week? They're scrolling by the uh, the screen.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, that's from. Well, those those are from uh, the Streamlabs stuff. Yeah, that's most of those are from last week. Gotcha, gotcha. So, guys, you still there? Yeah,
1: I was able to uh, to reboot. Uh, it looks like uh, my I think Skype was like doing a an update or something i don't know i don't know if the audio is cleared back up but it's it totally tanked my computer but back up and hopefully you can hear me
0: i can i can totally hear you yes okay uh, yeah. it's still a little staticky but uh mm-hmm. we'll, we'll yeah live yeah, it. I don't
1: know. yeah a little bit <laughs> it's low fi yeah. black metal like we said so there you i don't go. know why i got i got uh really good uh equipment here so i don't know what what the deal is but, even for a black metal musician but uh you know, yeah, we'll make exactly. do.
0: <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, like ill Do you know the band Ildyarn? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, that is the ultimate in. I mean, that guy's literally like, like recording on a a cup with a string. Like that. That's <laughs> that music. Is yeah.
1: Yeah, intentionally raw <laughs> as they say, but uh yeah.
0: It is real trad. Real trad. It
1: is, yeah. Yeah, it's a I mean, it's it's funny that that was kind of the mark of how true you were as a black metal musician, you know. Obviously, uh Varg from Burzum using uh headset mics on uh, the M album and using his uh brother's stereo as an amplifier, which, you know, it's <laughs> that's that's the that's the, the low-fi DIY uh ethic there. Uh strikers. There so. you go.
0: Yeah. So I, I was going to ask you now, th- sure. th- don't be insulted by this question. But, you know, I asked uh, John uh, from from Facine. Yes. Uh, the same question, which is, um, you know, so so his record label exclusively releases, um, you know, um, you know, re- regular albums. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, they, they they just you have to have a record player to play his, his I mean, they have CDs too, but he specializes in that kind of, in that kind of release. It's vinyl, yeah, mm-hmm. vinyl. I, I notice in your case, you seem to have a lot of tape stuff.
1: Yeah, tape is uh, kind of come back. is it, It's still a very collector kind of niche kind of uh, hobby for you know some of the people into record collecting um most people don't have t- tape decks and their their uh, stereo at home but uh yeah it's it vinyl is kind of never went, went away um it, right. especially in uh underground metal you know vinyl is very coveted uh format <laughs> but uh yeah i mean we try to do a little bit of everything but you, you know you can you can release things in limited quantities uh tapes you don't really have to release a ton of because it's it's really only people who are into the tapes that that like it but i mean it is pretty pretty cool that uh you know it's kind of come back and ha- had a second life uh which i've really only noticed within the last like five years or so you know you started seeing tapes and at distro tables at uh, concerts so
0: well, what's what's the uh is it just the niche of it or is there some kind yeah. of advantage to it or something i mean well it is an analog uh
1: you know uh sound so i mean there is kind of a a sound characteristic to it but uh i think it's just kind of just the there's a nostalgia factor i think with a lot of people um you know i mean a lot of people who started in these scenes started with tape trading you know in the the 80s and the 90s i mean up until the late 90s really tape trading was still very big um until you know once file sharing and uh you know being able to burn your own cds came along then you know that's uh, that that kind of took over after that because it, it is easier, admittedly. But uh, yeah, yeah, I,
0: interesting. Yeah, I mean CDs might as well be tape at this point. Yeah, I mean I I, I, I I honestly can't think of a place where I could play a CD where I'm at. Like I don't seem to have uh, anything. My computer doesn't have a CD player. Yeah, and
1: and most people want to use um, streaming. You know, like whether it's like a a. Like a YouTube music type streaming service or um, Spotify, I guess would be the the biggest one uh, most people use. But again, you run into the issue of uh, deplatforming, so that's not open to everybody.
0: Right, right. Now, tell me in general what you would recommend for someone who is not a a hardcore. NS black metal fan. How how would they possibly get into it? What kind of bands would you recommend for a newbie? Sure,
1: um, I would. I, Nocturnal Mortem a, a great place to start. Um, you know, they have a lot of folk instruments, um, yeah. and and a lot of the bands that have more of the uh, folk sound. Uh, you know, because there's a lot of the, mostly from Europe. A lot of those bands, but uh, you know, they'll bring in a lot of acoustic guitar and. You know uh, keyboards and kind of a little more on the mellow side, not so uh, abrasive or lo-fi or aggressive. Um, yeah, nocturnal mortems a good uh, dub book would be another one. Um, I would say, um, these guys have actually really good uh, production value, but uh, Wolfnacht from Greece and the fact that the Greek, oh, I
0: love Wolfnacht.
1: yeah, great, and you know, uh, Der Sturmer and Wolfknocked, uh, they're kind I- of tied together by uh I actually mentors, met the but,
0: Der Sturmer guy in uh, in in, uh, in Greece once. Yeah, it's and those guys are guy.
1: yeah, very interesting they're very politically nuanced they you know, they're they're revisionists. They're uh you know, they don't just you know, slap a swastika well, on it and uh, on an ironically oven post you know, <laughs> nothing like that. Well, but,
0: let's let's I mean, Ders sort of does that. But they do.
1: Well, if you read they, their they lyrics, they, great, they, they, they have do have lips. Yeah. yeah, they do. They do actually. I mean, but yeah, they do kind of have the the kind of uh, just throw it in your face attitude as well. But you know, yeah, that's, and uh, all these yeah.
0: all these guys, you know, back when the Golden Dawn was a thing, they used to have concerts, um, f- you know, uh, backed by the Golden Dawn, where these guys would just perform their acts and stuff. But, right.
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of them are are were politically active and fighting, uh, you know, the battle over there for sure. You know, love it was. Yeah. Going. Der, what, Der, Sturmer,
0: what yeah. Der Sturmer has a great uh, song promoting Golden Dog called Megali Hellas." Yes, yes, it's a fucking oh, awesome yeah. song. Mm-hmm. Everyone should look that up. Der Sturmer, Megali Hellas." Yeah, um, you know, and and you know, even though I have some strong disagreements with um, you know, you you y- Ukrainian nationalism, mostly because it, a lot of it is bank backed backed by America.
1: There's yeah I mean, yeah. yeah there's, there's a
0: lot there. of confusion there, but you know there's. they the ukrainian nationalists like the, the black metal scene there is huge because of that
1: yeah and one of the bigger ns black metal festivals uh, was over there um you know that that they i think they held at least three or four of them but uh yeah absurd of course you know uh, that's a, probably a good uh, intro band as well as absurd uh, some of the later material um not their early lo-fi stuff but uh I think a lot of people would like that, especially fans of like punk rock and uh, RAC type uh, would like absurd. A um, uh, Grambling's Key I think is a good intro band too. Oh, they're awesome! Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just—it's—it's it's just you know, good stuff to put on. It's the the music's uh, really uh, well thought out, great, great riffs, um, you know. So yeah, those uh, I think those are good. Yeah, uh,
0: I, I think Tem Temnazor. T- yeah, F- oh, yeah. is yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah, that, that's White kind of roar
0: Roars is a great song.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of going back more to the the kind of folk influenced uh, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> they
0: they do a lot of Russian folk singing. Yeah, which at first kind of sounds you know if you have a, a, a like a a kind of audio audio version of a McDonald's palette, you might find it a little off putting at first. But if you actually sit and listen to it, it's actually quite beautiful. Uh, Russian folk singing. Um. Yeah, but yeah, all, all these bands are they're they're quite distinct in their own way. But yes. Uh, so, w- w- what's your take in general? Do, do you see the NS black metal scene as ascendant or in decline?
1: Um. I think there's uh, it's, it's not stagnant by I mean There's a lot of room for growth. Um, which is kind of what you know were the labels that uh, I co-release with. Uh, like I was mentioning uh, earlier, in Chow, he's a Finlandic Vin- werewolf. Um, we do, you know, tape co-releases, uh, vinyl co-releases is planned, um, as well as a split with uh, Blood Libel uh, coming up. But uh, it's it seems like it's you know, businesses is okay as far as you know, people are still very interested in. Um, but it it's it it definitely could use um, as much word of mouth, you know, underground. Uh, uh, ways of, of promoting it because uh, that's what we have to rely on so you know that the more people know i mean that's obviously a big reason uh, coming on here to just so people are aware that it's still out there because um, a lot of people probably feel like this stuff is defeated and and uh, you know just there isn't anything going on but there is um i i would like to see more uh you know fests and concerts in, in the u.s that's going to be something that uh i think will you know, obviously, we'll have to deal with uh, some sort of uh, vetting for, uh, you know, attendees and things like that. But uh, that's just how it is. That's how you have to operate these days. Um, you know, hopefully, that changes. Uh, people respect uh, people's uh, freedom of expression, um, and hopefully, we can see it grow. Um, and again, getting back to what I say, you know, with more of a, you know, an uplifting message for for our people. You know. Um, you know we got such a, a great history to draw upon um for lyrical content and uh, you know just the aesthetic uh overall you know presentation of of this music um that's i think the more we we focus on that and put that out there um it's it's going to grow um despite all the attempts at trying to you know keep it uh, under wraps by usual suspects uh that's I, I think i think there's a lot of, it's, there's fertile ground uh yeah <laughs> you know, tldrs uh, yeah uh,
0: and i think i think one thing i noticed too about these kinds of ideological or even nostalgic to some degree revivals of these types <laughs> of music is that you know contrary to what usually is the rule the newer stuff is often better than the old stuff. And I, I'm thinking of a few bands like uh, Facine and Wellington Arms, which we've interviewed. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when I used to listen to RAC many, many years ago, like a good 80% of the bands were awful. Like they're just not very not very good, not very good music. And, and it's, it's whatever it is. The music wasn't the point. But I find that the people that are reviving RAC now – uh, are more ideologically sophisticated and better musicians
1: yeah and, that's and that's a very very fair assessment of, of it 80s. as well I, I would say that even on on the you know the black metal side it's like musicianship is you know start i mean we were joking about you know all the lo-fi and diy stuff but, but i mean it's it's it, there people are getting more interested in, in um you know it, having more substance musically for, for sure and then also a strong ideological you know uh, stance as well not just again just kind of just throwing uh, you know uh ss yeah. divisions as your lyrics you know <laughs> right. yeah you know, i mean that's cool whatever i'm not going to knock bands to do that that's cool if they want to do that that's how they're they get down but uh i i think there's it, it's more um, important for, for people to get something out of the lyrics where they they feel inspired again. Even it's, even
0: fa- yeah. even fash wave, a lot of fash wave, yeah. and even general synth wave that's mm-hmm. coming out now is genuinely better yeah. than eighties music. Like, yeah, a lot and of, and I a mean, lot, you know, we all know a lot the of great eighties bands, but like, let's be honest, like, there's a reason why ninety nine percent of eighties bands are not remembered. It's because they fu- they fucking sucked, so, you know, and so. Uh, the the wave bands uh, or, or or musicians seem to kind of um, take the best elements of synth music from the eighties. Yeah. You know. Um, I was recently. I don't know. This is a little off topic, but uh, you know, I was thinking of of how this this fascist spirit has always been in these styles and genres of music. I mean, we can think of Joy Division, right? Sure. Um. I I recently saw the the film Control, Mm -hmm. which is about Ian Curtis, Mm -hmm. and they completely papered over the fact that, like, these guys were trafficking in openly Nazi aesthetics, like completely just just matter of factly just included. Oh, there's a scene where one of the guys shows Ian Curtis the uh, the album cover, which is a famous the the Nazi drummer boy, and uh, they just didn't explain the context, didn't get into why they made that that way. They didn't talk about it. They just didn't even, they pretended it wasn't even relevant, but there was a meaning to it. They also, by the way, showed Ian Curtis as a really awful human being in that movie. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, do you know more about that history? I'm not too familiar with, with why they, they, they used Nazi aesthetics. Is it just because it looked cool? Um, I think
1: there's probably a degree of that, but I mean, you've, you've found that with a lot of bands, uh, you know, in the punk scene, uh, early on. Um, I mean, even, uh, Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones is wearing, you know, uh, SS uniforms and things like that. Uh, you know, uh, there's also, uh, you know, the band, the Stooges, uh, you know, the Lady pop band, their, their guitar player used to wear like iron crosses and he was into collecting a lot of that stuff. So I don't think there was like strong, you know, you know political leanings behind it a lot of it was probably just edginess um you know Over especially era- especially in england you know i mean in that era um because like even the sex pistols i think would wear swastikas and stuff you know to, but it's more just to kind of hits people off but yeah joy division i mean they, they did kind of use that aesthetic um but maybe it was just kind of more to set themselves apart from anyone else i i would assume
0: yeah, because, you know, they, you know, if you know the context of that era of, of British music, they were from Manchester, right?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And that was back then a very, very conservative part of, or not conservative in the American sense. But, you know, people there were not happy about immigrants. They weren't happy about globalization. That was a big issue in the 1980s in that region. So, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of this rebellion has a deeper meaning to it um in my view you know that, that yeah
1: and it, it might have been a subconscious thing a lot of it too yeah for sure um but yeah i mean joy division itself the name was uh uh i think they got it from a book as uh kind of like a a gentleman's club for uh you know Wehrmacht soldiers or something like that I, I that from my understanding I, I don't know the exact story but like that was kind of where it, when they'd be off the front lines they would go to a joy division to kind of you know get their r&r and see you know women dancing and things like that as soldiers do you know so
0: yeah well yeah. i i disagree actually that it was just shallow rebellion because if you know the band that joy division came out of was warsaw right they they had they had one of their songs was dedicated to Rudolf Hess
1: that's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. He even said that. I, on I
0: think they just didn't include any of that because a lot of bug men love Joy Division and they don't want to have their heroes sullied by something.
1: That is a that is a hipster kind of uh, yeah totemistic type you don't, of not uh, you don't write an ode yeah,
0: sure. you don't write an ode to Rudolf Hess unless you're political. And that was a big thing in the nineteen eighties for for national socialists was advocating for Rudolf Hess who was at the time still imprisoned. Um, in Spandau oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, and so the, the fact that, that Joy Division, that Ian Curtis wrote a song dedicated to Rudolf Hess, a lot of people don't know that trivia, you know, also the uh, uh, what was that um, <laughs> Ulf from the uh, what was that fucking band the Swedish band, the, 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 the pop band oh, uh, Ace of Bass yes, Ace of Bass also started off, at least Ulf was a, a member of a Nazi band
1: yeah, it, was, it had a weird name, though, kind of like Suicide Now or something like that, though, which is kind of yes. weird.
0: There's actually – you can find it on the internet. Well, yeah. Know, it's called <laughs> yeah. Oaf is a Nazi. Oaf well, was is-
1: that's there's even been a narrative that the uh, Ace of Base still hasn't really – like that uh, they have like anti-abortion songs and they have some very you know, like right-wing kind of lyrical content. So they, they haven't really like given it up, but they – I don't know. It's it's probably just a, a, well, a, a joke theory, but you never know.
0: Yeah, well, what's interesting is that, you know, again – you know you, you look at the 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 uh, like frankly openly nazi histories of, of bands like Joy Division, Ace of Base and and it's just um, they they've done such a good job um, gatekeeping anyone like that out of the mainstream. Yeah. That but what's so interesting is that there's a bigger audience for this stuff than ever before. So it shows you that they're not pursuing profits when they do that, do they?
1: Definitely. And and, and you know it's, it's it's funny we're talking about like you know bands that kind of you know had the imagery um before you know kind of kind of even the um genesis of this music uh you know like death and june would be another one um where you know they were getting their concerts canceled by antifa like in the 90s you know before anybody yes. that them and boyd rice you know which you know everybody has their opinions on those guys and they're they're not exactly like you know political um uh, guys but they've used that aesthetic you know the the kind of the the fascist aesthetic and that that type of uh imagery you know toting and things like that
2: yeah
0: death death in june i remember uh was a was huge with hipsters in new york city yeah huge i remember like you know be, you know, I, I used to like Death and June a little bit, but like they, they they had a lot of fans that were were not political who also didn't mind that they had openly Nazi aesthetics and they kind of uh, championed that that aspect of the kind of postmodern hipster counterculture that was emerging in the 2000s uh, was was really like uh, almost pioneered by them. Now, what, what whatever came of them?
1: Um I mean, as far as I know, they're still making music. I think they've released some music recently i I think they're they're kind of their they've already hit their high water mark in popularity um You know, I mean, they were actually really popular in England and they were like on record charts and things that, you know, hit singles. But they're they're more of like a dark wave band when they started, you know, they sound more like a goth band. Uh, And then they kind of moved into the the folk kind of thing. But um, I think that they're still around doing music. Uh, At least they released you know, some records still. So
0: interesting. Yeah, because I I was I always wonder because, you know, there is actually a bit of a detachment from what we're doing now to the old scene right there is quite a a gap there and it's good to have guys like you can kind of connect that a little bit to show that you know to show that this kind of uh, counterculture that's been sort of erased from memory mostly because it was a lot dependent on access to youtube right
1: yeah very true i mean like
0: that yeah yeah
1: definitely and you know and, and for the younger guys uh you know you know, people, teenagers, you know, early 20s, that's kind of the only way they know to get their media, you know, consumption is through, you know, streaming platforms and stuff through the computers and their phones and, you know, all all that. So yeah, when when you kind of take those, um, you know, like YouTube's Notorious for taking down, you know, Graham wilds key videos, or even to death in June, or any of these. You, you know, they're going to miss it. So yeah, you do kind of have to connect those dots. No, you're absolutely right.
0: And and uh, Blood Axis is another one.
1: That's yeah, like- Michael Moynihan. Yeah, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. that guy also. He has. He was, I wouldn't say mainstream, but he has a best selling book, The uh, Lords of Chaos.
1: Well, he wrote he wrote the book Just about the the, yeah, the Norwegian black metal scene, uh, you know, with all the the stuff they had going on there in the early '90s. But yeah, they turned into a Hollywood movie. Uh, Jonas Ockerlin, Yeah, I,
0: mean, yeah you know. I think Macaulay Col One of Macaulay Culkin's brothers was in it. He like, <laughs> yeah. was.
1: Yeah, yeah, wearing yeah, a very yeah. bad wig.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, you know, back. This is this is one thing that I've noticed in uh, in the last few years is that they've essentially destroyed the freedom to associate, and so. Now, something that's happening that wasn't so common back then was that, you know, you can't be friends. If, if you're someone with, with any kind of influence in culture, you cannot be friends with Michael Moynihan. Okay, so this guy was able to to, to get a mainstream publisher, I believe. I mean, who, who published Lords of Chaos? It actually
1: it was – a... uh, I want to say it was Feral House. It was, oh,
0: okay. So it, was yeah. it wasn't, it
1: wasn't a, yeah, it wasn't a big – publishing house but uh that i I seem to recall that too but i mean that book was very big at the time it came out a lot of people you know were interested in reading about what went on over there in in norway in the early 90s um but uh i think Moynihan made a lot of money off selling the Wright stuff book too um
0: yeah that book was a huge sensation it was yeah that book was a huge sensation and and you know he came under under pressure from the spLC in the 90s
1: he did yeah and and to be honest uh when i was a teenager that was where i first heard of absurd was in that book you know uh, really so yeah yeah I, it, I kind had, of,
0: it kind of put nsbm on the map didn't it
1: In in a way it did yeah i mean because they did talk about uh bands yeah. like graveland and absurd um, some of the french uh black metal bands like funeral and osculum and fame um yeah and obviously bar Vickerness is kind Kind of, I wouldn't call him an NS black metal musician. Uh, none of his music has any nationalist themes really, too. I mean, there is some kind of pagan stuff in it, but, uh, you know, he's kind of like the. He's
0: a Lord guess, of the Rings nerd.
1: <laughs> he was, yeah, it, it, or it is still. I mean, obviously he has his own RPG game, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, he, uh, he, I guess he's kind of indirectly, you know, he's like the grandfather of a lot of the nationalist socialist black metal. I mean, he, he really is, um, indirectly i wouldn't say he would even consider himself so um but uh a lot of the guys that ended up playing ns blackmail were definitely influenced by uh burzum and uh you know and it, the thing was is he uh kind of what i was talking about as far as like, like taking the themes and moving away from more you know the traditional satan shocking thing of that era he kind of got more into the, the pagan themes and, you know, and a lot of those Norwegian bands actually did, you know, that were singing about the like, Vikings and stuff like that. And, you know, that's, it, and that's all really cool stuff. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a different way to, to um, get people interested about, uh, you know, history or possibly their own heritage, you know, and,
0: uh, right. that's,
1: that's a good thing.
0: And for a lot of people out there that, that don't really know some of this lore, uh, Michael, uh, Moynihan, not not the not the vice bug man, the uh, the other Michael. <laughs> uh, yeah. he, he was the one that uh, edited the first Siege by James Mason.
1: That's true. Him and Boyd Ice. Yes, up.
0: they yeah. were the ones. Siege was originally released as an edgy goth like side project.
1: Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember. Uh, yeah, it was just, uh, James Mason, Moynihan, and Boyd Rice went on that uh, televangelist. Um, yep, uh, Bob Larson, and they they had a big thing, and you know they were doing all their edgy Charles Manson's stuff and all that. And,
2: right. And, yeah, right. I mean it's,
1: it's good for a laugh. I think you, that you can still listen to a lot of those old radio shows on YouTube, but they probably taken them down from time to time. But.
0: Yeah, you can. I think you can still find that interview with James Mason on um, on YouTube, but yeah. If you're wondering about who the, uh, like the, 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 goths that are with him are, it's, uh, it's Boyd Rice and Moynihan, isn't it? That's right. That, that they're in the studio with him. And again, imagine how different the world was that those, that Moynihan was, um, frankly, a mainstream published author. Boyd Rice was, uh, you know, doing all kinds of art shows openly in, in New York and California and, uh, you know they they were friends with James Mason, and they were also friends with the infamous um, A Wyatt man. Yeah, the,
1: that's true. The, yeah,
0: the man who designed the original Merchant and created all the cartoons for the Tom Metzger site when they when that was a thing. Yeah. So you could do all this edgy stuff in the '90s. There was a kind of uh, let let a thousand flowers bloom fight against political correctness, and they and the, all these guys came to the surface during that. Do you think we're in for another another kind of opening like that, or are the stakes just too high? Um, I would l- like to see it
1: happen. Um, just for the benefit of uh, you know, being creative and getting um, you know, the the type of message I want to get out there with the m- music that I uh, participate in and promote. But uh, yeah, it, it. I mean, optimistically, I'd want to say yes, but I mean, I, the. Not to be like, you know, pessimistic about it, but I, I just don't see it happening with, with, with the type of people that run um, the delivery channels of being able to get your music and art. I mean, not just music, but the art in general, any type of art out there is it's, it seems like the reins are firmly uh you know, in hand of, of them, but I mean, yeah, I would like to see it change, but again, it just, that actually increase, increases the allure though to people, just even from the, you know, the outsider perspective, you know, it's, it's, there's a thing with underground culture where the more forbidden or kind of rare it is, the, the more its value is, you know, to, to be kind of in on the ground floor with it. So that 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 could kind of see it through, you know, and that's that's happened with punk and, and metal and and even just uh, art movements in the past.
0: Yeah, I, I was thinking of someone else that was part of this little crew with Moynihan and uh, Boyd Rice and stuff. And that's Jim Goad. Yeah. Um, Jim Goad, I mean I've had Jim Goad on the show. Really interesting guy. He kind of does his own thing. Although I think he writes for countercurrents now. But pr- pretty pretty <laughs> yeah. amazing. Pretty amazing that Jim Goad used to be a, a best-selling author in the well, 90s. He and he hasn't changed. He's <laughs> he's someone who has not changed one iota in his, how he expresses himself or his ideology. The world around him has changed. And it's really fascinating to see this guy who's still kind of doing like 1990s politically incorrect stuff that used to get him on TV shows. And he would just be kind of like people would either laugh at him or agree with him on a lot of things. And and this guy now is like, you know, he's been chased off until like onto like a white nationalist website as mm-hmm. his only outlet for writing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably fifteen years ago, he would have been on uh, Real Old Time with Bill Maher. You know,
0: <laughs> he was. Yeah, there's a famous uh, there's a famous clip of him and like some like black guy and like all these all these people, famous people, and Bill Maher's interviewing him, and they're not like jumping, you know, they're not like uh, you know taking bites out of him or attacking him or anything. They're they're just right. discussing things like rational adults. And right. you look at stuff like that, and you almost you know, I I, I kind of miss I kind of miss that. That world, you know, yeah, it's really, really sad, and and you know, it it really is stifling. You know, you 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 make art. I engage in somewhat different. I I consider my 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 work a kind of art, and it it would be nice to be able to just you know have an adult, rational discussion and exchange of ideas with people. Um, but it's simply not feasible anymore. This country is just one big gulag. This, I, I would actually push back on people and say, oh, it's almost as bad as China. I think it's worse than China because in China they censor anti-social ideas. In America, they censor pro-social ideas. So it's actually far worse. And censorship in and of itself isn't always a bad thing, but – it's kind of like, you know, you have shit like, um, you know, people doing stuff like we were talking about before, like having gay sex and Satan that, mm-hmm. that's like promoted to kids on YouTube um, while, you know, people that have actual art and political ideas and philosophies to discuss are ruthlessly suppressed, you know, and, and they're worse off for it because, it, you know, guys like Jim Goad and Moynihan and stuff. These are talented people and the whole of america becomes more and more uh, kind of lower in, lowered in prestige when the smart and talented white men are not able to even exist you know what 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 actual reason does anyone have to like america if it's just as stifling as china mm-hmm. you know for for someone with a political ideology i mean i, I always bring this up I brought it up before that the main draw of America for people uh, in terms of its global prestige is the concept of being able to write, read, and say whatever you want. If they don't have that anymore, then all you have is this fucking, you know, you have that Astroworld concert. That's all you have left.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, that's exactly it. Um and, 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 you know, getting back, uh, you know, you bring up the the gay Satan striptease dance or whatever it was video. I mean, that's kind of where Satanism ended up at, you know, with like uh, groups like uh, uh, the Satanic Temple. Like they're all uh, LGBT, 2R9, whatever, activists. Um, you know, it's that's to them that's they think they're being subversive and I just like well no that's i mean four to five hundred companies have these opinions you're not really subverting anything you're just kind of going with the flow in in america like you said the the um the narrative is is what uh you know anything that (laughs) goes against uh any sense of common decency anymore, you know, and that's why you're saying, you know, censorship isn't necessarily a bad thing. I would like to say, say having standards is, is really what it all uh, comes down to and we've, we've really lost sight of the standards uh, as a society we're supposed to have. And anyone will, who's upset with the society will tell you that, that they, they they miss the way things work. You know, there's always that, you know, I wish it was like this, I wish we could do that. You know, that's that's uh, that's the momentum you got to take them Put into the future so you have that in the future you know and you, you, it, if anything we've learned what we really you know it's not that we took it for granted but what we, we want to see happen um in our culture and You know, and obviously things like music and art and, um, and like you say, what you do is absolutely an art. Um, you know, it's, you dedicate your whole life to to this, you know, (laughs) and that's how I feel when I, you know, create music. I like, this is, I'm putting my soul into this, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And all of (laughs) it is valuable. I'm always really impressed by the, the, the sheer number of talented people we have in our thing. I mean, it's far far above the average, you know. Frankly, and someone else brought this up before. I mean, I, I, I've talked about this how like the the left has a real problem attracting talented people. Um, they they don't. I mean, th- think of think of uh, maybe a lot of liberals have created good good uh, art in the past, you know, movies yeah. and so on. But actual like antifa types, like ant, like think think of like um, you know. Like the, the, the kind of modern Antifa anarchist types, like wh- where's their like – all I can think of is maybe some of like the 90s punk music was pretty good. Um, but if you actually listen to stuff like Anti Product and, uh, you know, Osrotten and stuff, it, it's mostly focused on things that actually NS Black Metal focuses on, which is protecting nature, the environment, animal rights, things like that. That seems to inspire more idealistic art than things like, you know, you can't say that. That's racist. That's sexist. That's trans misogynistic. You know, (laughs) that that stuff doesn't inspire creativity because it's fucking stupid. Um, So I I can't think of any movies made by people. There's tons of people that share these ideas in positions of culture and taste making. And yet, you know. The stuff you see on, say, Brooklyn Vegan, which is like some Jew Antifa site that is, uh, has emerged as this big power broker in the music scene. Uh, there's nothing new there. There's nothing new or substantial there. It's just uh, taking credit for stuff that's old, that was made before these people took charge, or um, you know creating original stuff that sucks. So we have a massive, whatever our monetary disadvantages, our platform and political disadvantages. We have a creative advantage, and I think that this is a, is going to help us win in the end. You know, um, we we have that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: I, I, no, you're you're absolutely right. And then another thing too, with um, you know, you're bringing up, uh, you know, what leftist you know antifa bands are there. I mean, I'm not, not going to mention any of what well there's a there's a uh, a scene in uh black metal called the uh, I i don't know if you've if you've read it in anarchist black metal right no so, I, I mean i mean i roll all, all you want because it's 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 all mostly terrible but the thing is is it it's just copies of all the uh all the ns bands and then they just have and you know antifa lyrics you know um A lot of them are tankies, you know, communists and stuff too. They get it. They, they, they LARP that way, you know, just like we have our LARPers, they have theirs. Right. Um, But uh, it's, it's pretty uh, astounding how unoriginal and uninspired it is. So yeah, you're, you're uh, right on the money with that as far as, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it comes across as a very just sterile and, you know, this watered down, uh, pathetic attempt at uh, imitation that's – it's just not worth uh, – again, I won't even name any of the bands because I just don't even want to think that they exist. You know, the, to them, they can do whatever they wanted to do. I don't care. But I, in my world, they're, they're not part of our scene. I don't want anything to do with them, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, um, you know, I, I think that being underdogs is, mm-hmm. is, is is actually a huge boon for your creativity. You know, because there's just more, more, uh, more to be. You, you have to be more resilient, in a sense, right? And so you have to yes. really love what you're doing, and that really yes. comes out in in, in your music and in, in other uh, nationalist rock bands. Which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we have like in, in, like affiliate in the NJP TRS network. We have like five black metal bands <laughs> with different people in them. We have uh, kind of synth-wavy type bands. We have RAC bands. We have all types of musicians. We have, of course, classical musicians. Um, they have to be a little more careful because unlike these other styles of music, they still can perform and stuff. But um, we have all that covered. Um, so, you know, the, the, the idea of National Justice Party is to create – just to put up a flag – and create that network to create that artistic counterculture, um, and give it some a degree, even if loose, a degree of political coherence. Because a lot of times people are just kind of doing their own thing, and it's not really pushing in a in a coherent direction, right? But you know, as we see, if if we're all up against the wall, if we just come together and and we pool our talents, whether you're a journalist or a a uh, podcaster, or a musician, or a, uh, an actual artist, or uh, you know, a writer. I mean, I, I'm sure you've read a lot of uh, Antelope Hill books. They're putting out some great stuff. Um, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually going to probably in the next week or two have a new author. He's got a new book coming out um, that's really interesting. A lot of a lot of it are uh, historical books that they're bringing back, but they're also writing original stuff and. I think what's most important about this isn't just about beating the, the, the Judeo left. You know, it, it's about also distinguishing ourselves from conservatives. Okay. Like compare the facts and the information in a Scott Howard book to the uh kind of garbage that Dinesh D'Souza puts out, right? <laughs> like we, we just have a fundamental advantage when fighting for people's minds because we're just we just put more effort into what we do. It's not just for money, it's not a grift. So these are why uh we have and we're bu- rebuilding tons of momentum. We're going to uh continue building momentum. And so yeah. Um so anyway, uh, I think we've actually gone over um Frank, when do we usually
2: play ourselves out? Um whenever whenever you say so. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So uh Uh, So anyway, um, um,
0: guys, put put maybe your favorite song from your band. Uh, Name your band.
1: Uh, Odium Totus.
0: Odium Totus. And uh, Frank, maybe play like 30 or 40 seconds of it. Uh, Just put put what what you think is your your, your favorite or best song from your band into the chat uh, if you can, uh, guys. I know (laughs) it's a short notice, but uh, is that possible? Yeah, I could do that. Let's see here. Yeah. And you're, you, you, you just—I uh, was talking to you today. You put up a uh, a telegram uh, account for your um, for your record label. Yes. Um. So I I've, uh, re- t- re- i read read I put it on the gram. I put it on the gram. It's a Veni Vd Vici Distro. Um, they are in partnership with some some uh, a distribution called Vinlandic Werewolf. Um, which is also on Telegram. Um, You can find them at VWD underscore updates for Vennelonic Werewolf. And for uh, the triple V, it's Veni Vidi Vici underscore label as well. Oh, so you did get the plugs into the description, huh, Frank?
2: Yes, yeah. I don't know if he wants to go over that.
0: And we also have
2: Hate Propaganda Distro. <laughs>
0: right yeah yeah oh, they're, man, they're, i'm looking at some of these album covers
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty wild yeah uh, they, he was at the, the fashion cliche. show as well so huh he was at the fashion show uh distroing as well uh okay.
0: recently i see they have yeah. grom. They, they published grom. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I remember grom they were from queens they are fucking great yeah
2: um yeah, yeah I,
0: you know anyone that that knows um Fourteen Sacred Words, the, the the guy that was in Grom was in that, too. was his band. Good kid. I remember him. Really awesome kid, Jason Augustus. Um, yeah, they got everything at Hate Propaganda Art. Uh, they got Grom. They got Aryan Wolf. I haven't even heard of some of these bands. It's called Illegal Black Metal, Volume 1. Well, whatever happened, by the way, do you remember the Pagan Front? yeah
1: yeah uh that was uh hendrick mobis from absurd was involved with that um yeah yeah they, they put out a lot of their early uh ns black metal records or uh i know. have
0: some of their cds the, uh, the mm-hmm. compilation cds they were fucking awesome
1: yeah yeah they, they they put out some great yeah compilations and definitely were one of the earlier uh pioneers and you know uh the guy is from a u.s black metal band um in the '90s, Judas is He actually put out an NS black metal compilation called "The Night in the Fog."
0: I have uh, that. I have. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, that's
0: that's
2: three.
1: Yeah, there, there's three of them now. But that that original one was really kind of one of the first, you know, intros to this type of music of, of with the nationalist uh, type, type of uh, theme. Yeah,
0: I, I you know what, one of my earliest memories was when I was like 15 years old, and I ordered. CDs from something called Vinlandic Winds records. Do you remember that,
1: that was uh that was Richard Mills. Uh yes. you, you and I have talked about Richard Mills. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and he sang with the uh, grandlails key as he well. He passed
0: away, right? did yes. Uh I remember his record label. He had a guy that used to run it. Mm-hmm. And I remember ordering something on the internet from there. And the guy actually hits me up and goes, Hey, uh, you know, I'm I'm from Queens. <laughs> Let's just meet up. And uh, I literally was like buying albums out of the back of his car. I was buying <laughs> CDs and T-shirts out of uh, N- Nazi black metal T-shirts and CDs out of his car. It's kind of really interesting how um, h- how there was so much of that based in, in places like Queens. You know, like, uh, you know, that the, the, the I'm not sure uh, whatever ha- whatever came of of wins. I'm pretty sure they shut down and then rebranded. And then the, the guy got chased. Uh, he had like a brick and mortar store and he, he had Antifa show up and stuff like that. But um, yeah, they, they, these uh, th- this scene was was uh, probably one of my first forays mm-hmm. uh, into, um, you know, that that kind of music was, you know, meeting these guys, really nice guys, really cool guys. Uh, I think they do like the, the pagan thing now and stuff. And they, they do like, um, you know, heathen stuff and so on. A really, uh, really solid group of guys, more so than the typical metalhead, you know, uh, were in the NSBM scene, and it, it was like a, a huge sensation. I mean, you know, I always say this, but you know, if you wanted to meet other political NS people, you probably would meet them at a black right. concert in the 2000s and two thousand, or very, or maybe not 2010 so much, but some of it then. Definitely in the 2000s, you know, that was a good place to meet. People that were, like, almost like a cut above the typical Nazi back then. I think I found that a lot of black metal people had, a, like, a, a lot of class and they were more brainy, you know. Um, but, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, Wolf Tier Records, someone says. Yeah, I think that's what, what they were called later on. Really, really good guys. Uh, so, anyway. um. F- Let's see. Okay, Frank, can you play about 40 seconds of the song of uh, Vanny Viti Vici put in there?
2: Yes, for sure. All right.
0: Yeah, should have went through. so that is name your band that is odium totus odium totus um so uh just real quick give us where people can find your uh your stuff
1: uh yeah i mean some of the stuff uh for the bands uploaded on youtube still um who knows for how long, um, (laughs) if you want to just stream it real quick. Uh, but, uh, you can always go to the, uh, yeah, like I said, the Vinna uh, label telegram, which, uh, it's t.me, uh, slash Vinavidovici underscore label and all the info is there if you have questions there's uh, the email uh as well if if anyone wants to get in touch or figure out on how to uh order records um check out vinlandic werewolf uh, distribution um and then uh of course uh, we talked about hey propaganda. and we're all working uh with each other to uh release records uh and you know we want to Um, eventually move in to other styles of music as well so anybody out there that's uh, doing music feel feel free to uh, send us any uh, stuff that you're working on Uh, we'd love to hear it and that's about it man I appreciate Stryker and Frank and everybody and uh, everybody that's listening I know I had some audio issues Uh, again my uh, Varg uh, headset mic was uh, doing it's job Uh, sound nice and lo-fi I guess so Um, but appreciate everyone for tuning in and checking it out
0: All right, so I guess with that, plays out, Frank.